0: Very brief, very embarrassing story that my wife said I could tell. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you or or you know someone who is trying to do something or be something that doesn't really comport with who they actually are. Um, They're trying to play a role that just doesn't fit them. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or you've done it yourself. But I remember when I was an undergrad in college and I needed a job. I was living off campus, and I needed to pay rent. And um, I, had a, I had a job, and I, I, was, I, was, I, I think I was waiting tables, and I wasn't, wasn't making very much. This restaurant wasn't very busy. But I didn't have a car, and I lived near campus, and I had a bicycle. So I wanted, wanted something near campus, and I wanted something that paid a little bit better than what I was making. So I was, <laughs> I was walking through the gym, and there was a thing on the bulletin board that said jobs. And one of the jobs that was listed, don't laugh, was aerobics instructor. (laughs) And (laughs) it paid $11 an hour. It was on campus. It was in the afternoon after my classes. And I thought, you know, uh, I could do that. I mean, I'm athletic and I'm fairly fit. And I mean, how hard can that possibly be? 11 bucks an hour, that's good money. you know, it's, it's on campus. And I thought, you know, plus it'll be like a workout for me. So that'll save me workout time. I mean, in my mind, this was a very good idea. And it said, um, you know, uh, auditions or, uh, interviews, you know, like the next day. So I'm thinking, perfect. Uh, I got a ride with my sister out to my parents' house and I went into my, my mom and dad's room and I got, went, opened the drawer, and there was a, like an old VHS uh, aerobics tape, like, you know, aerobicized to the 80s pop tunes, you know, like, um, so I, you know, I thought this will be my research. I pull it out. I pop the video in. I'm standing there, you know, and I'm watching, and it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos, but there are like, you know, 10 people that are fit, you know, and they're doing the thing, and then there's like one sloppy guy in the back who's like kind of, you know, trying to, you know, I don't have you ever seen that where they're tr- he's trying to do the moves and stuff anyway I'm watching it and i'm listening and i'm and it just looks so easy. It's was just like this is easy They're bouncing around. I've got rhythm. They're bouncing around to the music. How hard can it be? Uh, I remember hearing the term grapevine And then they would like go across the way and then then I remember them saying double grapevine and then they would like They had some move but anyway, so I thought I watched the I watched the tape for about five minutes. I go This is easy. I got this so the next day I go to the interview, okay? First thing I notice is, first of all, I was, there may have been one other guy, but I, I was pretty much the only guy there. Uh, there, was, there. There may have been one or two other guys, but I noticed that. I also noticed that, so I was in, like, black top Reebok high tops, you know, and, like, baggy soccer shorts and a big T-shirt. Everybody else was in, like, smelt like, uh, what do you call, like, a, uh, tights and like leotards and like springy little shoes and very cool outfits. So I thought, okay, this, I'm not fitting in already, but, you know, it's going to be okay because I, I, you know, I've got natural rhythm and I was a wrestler and I, I'm, you know, and so first they say, okay, first we're going to have a written exam. They give you this sort of physiology test, right? You know, this written test. And I actually did okay on that because it's the skeletal system. You know, And I, I paid attention in anatomy and physiology, and I kind of understood that stuff. So I, I knew where the different muscle groups were generally, filled that out, and I was starting to feel confident. And then they said, okay, here's how we're going to find out you know, who we're choosing. They had a huge boom box. And they said, what we're going to do is we're going to turn on the boom box, and we're going to call each one of you up to lead the rest of them in a routine. <laughs> and so I'm getting a little bit nervous at this point. Boom, the music comes on and it's like, oom-ch, oom-ch, ah, like that. Oom-ch. And they, they've they got our names on a list of everybody that signed in. And they're like, okay, and Mike. And so Mike will go up there and he starts doing all of these moves, man, and like calling out words. And it's like, you know, uh, the pretzel, the twist, the this and that. And I can't even follow like the most basic routine that he's doing, right? And then, and so I'm starting to sweat and then, then they, you know, he finishes and it was really good. And then, you know, it's like Jennifer and then Jennifer bounces up there and she's doing this whole thing and everybody's following. And I'm literally the guy, I'm the guy that's in the video that, that guy. And so I start thinking like, this would be like what I should do at this point, sort of make my way to the back of the room. And then I'll be like, I'll be right back. I'm just going to run to the restroom and then like run out of the gym. And as I'm thinking of that move. They're like, and Brent, and so I get up there, and the music is just, and I get up there, and I promise you, I am mortified, my throat is like constricted, my face is red, and I, and I totally freeze, and I'm standing up there, and I go, okay, you know, and like, the class are all the people that are competing with me for the job, so they're like merciless, they're like waiting for me to bomb, they saw the fear, they could smell the fear, and I go, Okay. Jumping jacks and then like we just started like rocking the jumping jacks. And we must have done like two hundred jumping jacks while I was thinking, What am I gonna do? And then I go this was I just as I was thinking I pulled this one out, I go, squat thrusts. And squat thrusts are what we used to do in wrestling where you go down, you do this and you come up. It's like not an aerobic move. And on that I feel like that's bombing and then I get back up and you know, I'm just saying, please, can someone just, just pull me, just please pull, and I, but they didn't, and the music kept going, and I go, double grapevine, and we, I mean, I don't know what a double grapevine is, I mean, I know you're supposed to go over here, and, uh, it was brutal, man, I mean, it was, <laughs> so finally, they called the next person, and I just, like, kind of tried to jog out of there with, like, a little bit of dignity, um, then, you know, after the tryouts, uh, you know, I, I bolted out of the gym. I was just like, I was mortified. And fortunately, I didn't know anybody in there. Nobody knew me. So I thought, okay, that is an experience that will be tucked away in a little compartment in my memory, which I will bury deep down and no one will ever have to know about. Um, but what was funny is that over the course of like the next year, I'd be walking through campus. And uh, there, every once in a while, I would see this a girl that I didn't recognize. And she'd say, hi, Brent. And I'd go, hi. And I'd walk by and I'd go, I can't place her. right? Um, that happened like, you know, four or five times. And one time I was at the coffee plantation on Mill Avenue there in Tempe. And, and I was walking in and, and there she was. She was sitting at a table. She goes, hi, Brent. And I'm like, I stop and I go, hey, I, you know, I see you often. And, and you always say hi, but I can't place you. I'm sorry. She's like, yeah, I was in charge of the uh, aerobics uh, tryouts. Do you? And I was just like, okay, great. You know, just like, don't ever. Look at me and don't ever talk to me. Um, the point being uh, that, you know, that's, that's not what I was suited for. I, I was trying to be something, do something that was like not me. That's not what I am. That's not who I am. I will never be an aerobics instructor. I just can't do it, you know. Um, the whole, uh, this whole passage that we're reading uh, today is about identity and how we identify ourselves. Uh, there are three sort of principles that we'll talk about during this sermon. One is your external identity, your internal identity, and your eternal identity. These are the three sort of identity concepts, if you're taking notes, um, that Jesus talks about and, and that comes out of this passage. So let's jump right in and read the passage. We're reading from Mark chapter 3, 6 through 19. We uh, are going through the book of Mark, as you all know. Um, this, this comes right on the heels of when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. If you remember last week, he was teaching in the synagogue, and he challenged the religious leaders and said, Hey, is it right to heal or hurt on the Sabbath? Is it? And then he and they healed a guy, um, and it ticked everybody off. And they, the Pharisees and the Herodians went out and started plotting against him how they might kill him. Uh, then Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The great multitude came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. And then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd would not crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those possessed fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Then he went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted and they came to him. He also appointed 12. He also named them. Apostles. That's the key verse and the key phrase in this. He named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve, and then this is the list of the twelve. To Simon, he gave the name Peter. Peter means rock. Remember, Simon was the, one of the first guys we met. He was the fisherman, his brother Andrew. So he appointed Simon, and to James, the son of Je- Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. So he's up there on the mountain with his 12 guys and he's naming them, and he's naming them apostles. Andrew, Andrew, Simon's brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. Um, So what is fascinating about this, very briefly just a little bit of context for what's happening here. Um, If you look at this map so, you see the Sea of Galilee right there, the the middle body of water there. So they're just north of that. Um, they're they're actually right on the Sea of Galilee, just north of it. If you if you zoomed out on your Google Maps, you've got uh, you know Eastern Europe just above here. You've got Africa just below here. Okay, just to give you a context, we're right we're right down here in in, Is- in Israel. So. Um, they they came from Tyre and Sidon. Those are those two cities up to the top. Do you see those? Those are mostly Gentile cities. Uh, they came from Jerusalem, which is way down there at the bottom. Jerusalem, Judea. That's that's mostly those were mostly Jewish areas. And then uh, Idumea is actually below that, and that was sort of mixed uh, Jews and Gentiles. Um, and then beyond the Jordan. In other words, you can see the scale there. But basically, what what was happening is people were literally coming from hundreds of miles around to hear him and see him. It's, uh, we, it's kind of hard to imagine today, but, I mean, he was, and this was all word of mouth. I mean, Jesus had, over the course of these, you know, um, months and years, he had developed an incredibly huge reputation where people were walking and taking, you know, mules from hundred, hundreds of miles away to see this guy. And to hear about him. I and mean, it would take days to go and, and find him. Uh, and yet his fame was so massive um, that people were coming uh, from everywhere. Um, which is interesting because later when we, when we talk about, you know, the veracity of the Gospels. Um, you know, when, when the book of Mark was, was written in about, you know, maybe 60, sometime before 70 A.D. Within 30 or so years of, of Jesus' life. Um, there were thousands of people that knew him, uh, and there were thousands of people who were eyewitnesses to the events that are described in this book. Um, and so, it's I, I just find that to be interesting: is that you know these guys, these disciples, were out preaching uh, to people who actually had heard what he said and saw what he did. And and the early critics, as we discussed the other day, even the early critics of Jesus didn't say, "Hey, he didn't do that." They didn't say he didn't heal they said, well, yeah, he healed, but he was some kind of sorcerer, and he did it by, you know, evil means or whatever. So anyway, it's fascinating that all of this historical information about Jesus that's found in the book of Mark, it was observed by thousands and thousands of people all over the countryside. Uh, But a central question, and one of the scriptures where, and and we see this all through the book of Mark, is that whenever these sort of unclean spirits come or even a, uh, um, a person who needs healing after Jesus performs a miracle, he goes, don't tell anyone what I did and do not tell them who I am. And that, and scholars, biblical scholars call this the messianic secret. He was sort of, he was trying to, you know, keep his identity Under wraps until the time came when he was prepared to reveal himself to who, you know, who he really was Uh, But of course no one obeyed him. Everyone ran out and said, oh, I'm healed or you know, you're the son of God and um, But but it's interesting that this whole thing about identity. He's trying to keep his identity Concealed at least temporarily So this question of identity is key to not only the book of mark, but it's key to you know questions of philosophy uh, uh, religion. The question of who are you? Like, who are you? Deeply, who who is the core of you? What is the core of you? I'm not talking about your job, your name, your parentage, your ancestry, but the 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 part of you that lives on. The part of you that, if stripped away of everything else, what is that comprised of? And this is a question that philosophers. And, and theologians wrestle with and I think uh, all of us to some degree have asked that question. Who am I like? Who am I? really am I a Sheer you know, accident in the grand universe am I did I just sort of happen to to exist out of millions and billions of years of chem, You know chemical interactions, and is it purely accidental that I exist or is there perhaps? Uh, some purpose or some meaning is it perhaps perhaps possible that my existence is the result of the volition of the willful volition of something greater than me? That's the huge existential religious question that we all um, that we all wrestle with. The external identity. So the first sort of little principle that we're, we'll talk about is your external identity, and that is the part of you that you don't have any control over. That is, uh, you know, what you've been named, the circumstances under which you were raised, um, what your parents say about you, what other people say about you. Your external identity is that which is sort of imputed upon you by others. There's a fascinating story in the news this last week. Um, two girls, a girl named Irina Baeva and a girl named Anya Iskandarov. I don't know if you saw this in the news, but these are two 12-year-old Russian girls. Who, all their lives, they lived with their parents in their small villages in Russia, and their villages were not far from each other. And uh, one of the husbands of one of, their, uh, one of their dads turned to his wife and he said, "Listen, this girl looks nothing like me." you know." And, and he began to question her faithfulness, and she said, "Well, he, you know, this is your child. Um, and they ended up going and getting a DNA test. They discovered that not only was this baby not his, but it was also not hers. These two girls, they discovered this week, 12 years ago, in a little hospital in Russia, some nurse inadvertently switched their name tags. And they were switched and raised in completely different households from their biological parents. Which is mind-boggling because... All of the external identity that these girls had, uh, you know, had sort of gathered over the years, all the information about who they were turned out to be not true. It was absolutely false. Um, the people who they thought were their parents were not their parents. The family they thought they came from, they didn't come from, the village that they thought they were from, you know, it was completely upside down. And this actually happened also in the 1950s here in the United States and and, on This American Life. There's a great story about these two women who were switched at birth. One was like a very outgoing, exuberant sort of uh, kind of cheerleader girl. And the other one was a very bookish, quiet, you know, know, uh, internal girl. And they had been switched at birth uh, and put in families that mirrored the other one. So, you know, this very bookish family over here had this girl that was like, you know, bouncing around the house in a cheerleader, and she she just never fit. And the same over here is that this, you know, this, this, um, this very exuberant, outgoing athletic family had this girl who was just like, you know, go around and read her books and very quiet. And anyway, they discovered years later that they had been switched at birth. So this external identity is something that is imputed upon us, but it doesn't have... Um, a great deal of reliability. Okay, so what people say about you, what people tell you you are, what people claim that you are, may or may not be true. And and what I'm talking about, not that we're switched at birth. That's an extreme example, just for, um, just to just to put the image in your mind. But but like, you know, some people I know have been told all their life, you are of no value, you're worthless, you won't amount to anything, you're no good. Uh, and you're a nobody and they have accepted that as part of their core identity on the other hand there may be some who had such high expectations put upon them you're going to become this you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer or uh... you know something uh... and and they've had such high expectations Put upon them that they have not met necessarily been able to meet the expectations that their parents or their friends or you know their family has put upon them. If you know these apostles, who we saw in this in this scripture, had defined themselves according to their external identity. None of them would have been able to accomplish what they ultimately accomplished. None of them would have ultimately accepted their identity as apostles because they would have been bound up and, and tied down with this external identity. You know, remember in a couple of weeks ago we talked about Levi, Levi who later became Matthew, but Levi was a social pariah. No one wanted to touch him. He was an outcast, an outsider, and no one would touch him. If he adopted that as his true identity – uh, he could never have become the guy who, you know, who became Matthew, who penned the, the gospel, and who became an amazing apostle. So on the external identity, when we allow um, someone else to define us, we're not really getting to the core of who we are. I want to read you just an interesting quote from a guy named uh, Henry and He says, When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless, and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am nobody. I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. This external identity that we grasp onto is not the core of our existence. It's something much deeper. Beyond our external identity, we have what what I would call an internal identity. And this is an identity that we sort of form on our own. Um, There was a Hilarious moment at uh, a party um, in California. Uh, my friend Steven is here today, and he was actually at that party uh, and he is a witness to this event i was we were at a party and, and it was you know just a group of people standing around and this is out in California. This guy comes up and he is like a real sort of awkward skinny, kind of tall, skinny uh, white guy with his hat pulled sideways, really baggy pants, big, puffy shirt, and he w- had this like gangster swagger that he was trying to pull off have you ever have you ever seen somebody who's like trying to you know like teenagers who like the one week they're goth, next week they are like uh, emo, and then the next week they're like gangsta, you know. Um, it's like, who are you? Well, anyway, I'm at this party, and this guy finds out that I'm from St. Louis, and he comes up, and uh, and he comes up actually to Stephen and I, and he and, and he says, "You from the Lou, dog?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm from St. Louis." He's like, "Yeah, well, I'm from the Lou too, dog." And I'm like, "Oh, really?" And, and you know, and he's and he's just got this whole thing that he's got figured out. He's got it. I go, "What part of uh, St. Louis are you from?" He's like, "St. Charles, yo." And I was like, oh, that's the funniest thing that you could possibly say right now. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just had to walk away. I literally walked away. I didn't even say, I just like went like this. <laughs> because this kid was trying to come with this like gangster thing. And he and was, was from the suburbs of St. Charles. I'm like, man, that just doesn't, I'm not buying it, man. Um, you know, all right, internal identity is that which we form. Um, I won't go into it a lot because uh, because of time, but there's a, there's a great psychologist named Eric Erickson, and he's the one that formed this concept of identity crisis. Uh, and this is, he, he formed this whole theory about our the stages through which we go in life, and one of the stages is identity crisis. And that describes what teenagers go through when they are trying to, you know, they're from the suburbs of St. Charles and they're from the Lou dog you know it's like they go through these stages and they ultimately form their identity um, I thought it was fun to uh, to see how people identify themselves how they what how they perceive themselves and how they try to project themselves to other people so I we put together a few slides of some people that you may be familiar with I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Allen Zimmerman, uh, otherwise known as Bob Dylan. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan was, his real name is Robert Allen Zimmerman. But at some point he said, look, that, that name's not going to fly for me because I want to be, you know, he liked Dylan Thomas, the, the poet. And he just, he's like, I got to be cool. And he just created this entire identity, changed his name. Uh, you may be familiar with Karen Johnson, also known as Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, this is one I like Marion Michael Morrison. John Wayne. I mean, these are guys that like they Just they said, "Look, I gotta, I gotta form a new identity." Um, Eric Bishop, Jamie Fox, uh, and this is one of my favorites, Mr. Thomas the IV, also known as Tom Cruise. Uh, so we we these guys, you know, are an example of how you can from your you can change your identity. You can form a new identity, right? You can take all of your experiences in life and you can say, look, this is the identity that I want to be. And you can project that out on to the world. Now, the problem with getting too rooted or too grounded in that identity is that that identity is also is basically the product of you. It's the product of your own internal processes. It's what you come up with. So that too is somewhat transient. It's somewhat impermanent. Um, and when we sort of grasp onto that, like if we, if we really define ourselves by our job or we really define ourselves by our career or we really define ourselves by our wealth or some other facet about ourselves and we lose that and that goes away, then we're, who are we? We're nobody again so there's this there's this you know a need to form an identity, but it 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 can evaporate um, And so fixating on our internal identity is not is not a sound idea either. and so this leads us to what I would call our eternal identity, and this is what we're learning about on this mountaintop with Jesus and the apostles the i the eternal identity. Is what God says you are Um, Tim Keller uh, on this on this passage says when we name when we name something like Jesus is up on the mountain naming things when we name we are describing the nature of the thing that we name but when God names he determines the nature of the thing he names so when God says I am naming this light it becomes light. He's not describing light, he's creating light. When he says, I'm naming the sky, then it becomes sky. So he, he determined God's power of naming is that he creates the thing that he names, whereas when we name it, we're just describing what it is. Um, what is your eternal identity? Um, there's a very fascinating story, and a person in psychology. Um, his name is Phineas Gage, and uh, some of you may have seen or heard of this guy in your in your in your classes and your psychology classes. Phineas Gage was a railroad construction worker, and part of his job was that they would um, they would use explosives to uh, to lay track, um, and that thing you see in his left hand—that's a railroad that's a big spike that they would use. Um, and what happened to Phineas? And this is, this was like in 1830s or, you know, maybe early 1840s. Um, Phineas was working on the railroad and he was laying these tracks and one of the explosives went off and that spike, uh, not to be graphic, but that spike actually went through his, through his skull, through his skull. Um, and he survived. But what was fascinating is that it went through the frontal lobe of his skull, of his brain. What was fascinating is that he survived fine physically, no problem. But he became a completely different person. His personality, his behaviors, his, his likes, his dislikes, his every all of his attributes that he had all his life reversed. He became a very different person. The people that knew him before said, "That's not the same guy that we've known." It's like who you know—that's his body, but that's not him. I mean, the 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 brain chemistry altered so radically, you know, because of this accident, that he just became a completely different guy. I find that fascinating when we talk about our eternal identity, because what that means to me is that there is something deeper then our personality, our thoughts, our beliefs, our attitudes, our attributes, our our identity, what we think of as our core identity, there's something deeper than that, and that is what we are defined by God. What is your identity? What is your eternal identity? What is it that God calls you? What does he name you? Um, When the apostles were up on the on the uh, mountain with Jesus, they weren't apostles at that point before he named them. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were woodworkers. They were um, – Simon the Zealot, for example, was a member of, a, of an extreme political party uh, that, that was completely opposed to the tax collectors. So he had gathered this group of people together that came from wildly different backgrounds, wildly different um, experiences in life. And he at one point said, I am naming you apostles. Apostles are, you know, uh, people who go out and teach and lead. Uh, and they became that only because he named them that. So what is it that God names you? Who are you? That's the central question. Who are you? And the scriptures are over and over and over and over and over again say you are beloved you are God's child you are made in God's image you are God's handiwork his craftsmanship the the word in in the scriptures that say you are God's handiwork it comes from the word poema which we get the word poem we are you are God's poem you are the expression of God's Creative power. That's who you are deep down. That is who the core of you. That's who you are at your core. You are the craft of God. You are the poem of God. You are the artwork of God. And if today you're asking yourself, you know, how do I? How do I fulfill that name? How do I sort of follow that name? How do I become Who I can become? How can I reach that potential that God has for me? You know, I think this passage in Mark is a great, great illustration for us because these guys—they did three things: they followed Jesus, they served Jesus, and they talked to Jesus. What does it mean to follow Him? It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you get everything right out of the gate. It just means that these guys, you know, Thomas doubted him, even at the end. Peter betrayed him at the end. Uh, uh, Or, you know, uh, uh, Judas completely betrayed him. Um, Peter denied him, cursed him. I mean, these guys weren't perfect, but they were willing to follow him because there was something about him that attracted them, and there was something about him that was extremely different and unique and powerful. And so... The first thing, if 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 that is something in your heart where you say, "Look, I want to really touch the core of who I really am. I really want to get to know who I am in the eyes of God." Follow Jesus. How do I do that? You come, you come to church, you read the scriptures, you think about, you know, what you're learning, and you just try to follow Jesus. Number two is he said, and then he sent them out from the uh, from the mountain, and he said, "Serve." So how do we serve? Jesus says, you know, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. How do you serve God? How do you serve Jesus? You do it by serving other people. You know, Jesus said, if you give food to someone, you're giving food to me. If you're giving water to someone, you're giving water to me. If you clothe someone in need, you're clothing me. So he sent these apostles out and they served. And number three is talk to them. You know there are people from all ends of the spectrum here at U city family church when it comes to belief and, and, and religion. And, and, and I love that. I love that. There are people that are dyed in the wool. Christians that are, that have been believers all their lives. And there, then there are also people who are many people who are going, I'm questioning, I'm thinking about it. I'm considering it. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious. And, All every single one of us can come and some of us sort of go back and forth on that spectrum. But every single one of us can come to Jesus and say or come to God and say, look, I don't know. I I remember, for example, when I when I really started taking seriously the possibility that Jesus was the Savior and that and that I should get to know him. I remember saying I was in I was having I was praying and I had not been praying for a very long time, but I prayed and I said, God, if you don't exist, then I am just talking to myself in a room right now. But if you do exist, I want to know you. And I want, to, I want you to, to know me. And I want you to transform my life because the way that I'm living, I don't like it. And I don't like the results that I've got. And I don't like where I'm going with my life. And it's not the life that I want. There's no harm in doing that. You know, talk to God. Don't be afraid to talk to God. Nothing, nothing scary will happen if you talk to God, you know. So, you know, the the, the third attribute about or the third principle to try to get to know who this is, who you really are, because you're not what other people say you are. You're not really what you say you are. Ultimately, deep down, you are who God says you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you for defining us. We thank you for naming us. We thank you for the opportunity to get to know you. And, uh, God, we ask today that you would open our hearts and help us to get to know really who you are and understand who your son is and what Jesus can do in our hearts and in our lives. We're deeply grateful, God, for an opportunity just to be together and to worship and to thank you. Uh, And, God, we ask you to be with us this week. Help us to go forth and to be encouraged and to be uh, strong and to be um, a glory to you in all that we do, all that we say, and all that we think. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is an opportunity every uh, Sunday we do this at the end of the service.